0: This is the Sooner Schooner Show on the Heartland College Sports Podcast Network. I'm Eric G. from 97.1 The Sports Animal in Tulsa. Coming up on this week's episode, we are going to hear a lot from Jeff Levy. Never expected to hear this much from Jeff Levy on this podcast, but there is plenty to discuss. No, we are not going to ignore the elephant in the room. That is the Art brile situation. We will talk on that, but we're also going to discuss... The offensive identity for OU, what is it? How much more can you get the running backs involved? Who is the best running back on campus? RPOs versus design calls for runs and passes. We're going to get into all that this week, so be prepared. Uh, We'll touch a little bit on the defense and what they have to do to keep Tulsa under control. Of course, I'll give you two Golden Hurricane to watch this week. And uh, I would ask you, do us a huge favor, please give us a five-star rating because that helps us get our content out to more people. And if you write a written review, it lets us know what kind of content you want more of so we can deliver that. Take a screenshot of it, send it to Pete Mundo at heartlandcollegesports.com and you will get a Heartland College Sports koozie. So Jeff Levy and the OU offense certainly have a lot of questions to answer You win the game 28-11 to this last Saturday against Southern Methodist. But I think more importantly, all right, because as we don't go back and review the game and tear it up, we have to figure out what the OU offensive identity is. Because right now, I don't know what it is. Do you know what it is? Do you have an answer? Do you think you know what the OU offensive identity is? Because what I'm hearing from Jeff Levy, what I'm hearing from everybody at OU, that is on that offense is that OU needs to run the ball more. And that's what OU is going to do. They are going to run the ball. They are committed to running the ball. But I think you saw on the first few series that as much as OU wanted to run the ball, they're also committed to mixing it up. They're also committed to being, I, I if you want to use the word balance, go ahead and use the word balance. But it didn't seem that way. You run the ball, you get a few yards, then all of a sudden you're going to throw it. And that's the lot in life of every single coach that runs the spread. Because they get antsy when you haven't had the big play. Having them drain the clock is not something that is in their DNA. Big plays, that is what in their that is what's in their DNA. So what are they looking for to running back? Okay. Well, what they're looking for to a running back is a guy who is a home run hitter. A guy that when you give him the ball, hits the hole, has some juice, has you know a little bit of back and forth, left and right to avoid tackles, a guy that doesn't pick his feet up, and a guy that has some speed that makes it very hard for defensive backs to catch up with him once he's in the open field. Does OU have that guy right now? That is a question, and and at, at the moment, I don't think any of us, any of us, can say without a doubt, at least right now, right now, okay, that Wee Walker is the best running back on campus. Now, that's only because Javante Barnes and Gavin Sawchuck are banged up. If they were healthy, we wouldn't be ha- we wouldn't be saying that. But because they're not. Tywee Walker is the best running back on campus at the moment. And the only issue, I know there are a lot of people that had issues with the way that Jeff Levy calls a game, and they're very critical, especially of the one play where Gavin Sawchuk came in, only gained a yard. It's the only play that he played the, the entire game, and it was a third and seven. My Look, my opinion on that, okay, real quick, I'll just do a sidebar and give you my opinion on that. If that's Adrian Peterson, nobody's complaining about running the ball on third and seven because everybody's thinking that even if you load the box, Adrian Peterson is going to be able to run guys over. Okay, maybe you're not a huge fan of that, but I think if you're committed to the run, third and seven can be a great running down because a lot of times, it's an uh, third and seven is an obvious passing down which means you're going to catch, looking a lot of guys play, a lot of defenses play nickel right now just as a base defense with as much as everybody throws it around. But anybody who's playing to protect the pass, I love the idea of catching them off guard and running a draw, running something, just running the ball because they're not expecting it. Now, it didn't work out that well for OU, but I'm not a big fan of call better plays and you win. I'm a bigger fan of get better players to execute the plays that you want to call. But yes, Tywee Walker, best running back on campus at the moment. Eventually, it will be Gavin Sawchuk. Eventually, it will be Javante Barnes, but they have to get healthy. And my only issue, only issue with Jeff Lebby, as far as what he was doing this past week, was that when Walker was good, you take him out. Now, granted, Marcus Major scored a touchdown. And Walker did Like, I had to go back and look. Walker didn't score a touchdown, which blew my mind. As good as he was, I was like, yeah, for surely he scored a touchdown. No, he didn't. But he was averaging over six yards a carry. And the, the best thing about him is, is he never seems to tire. The guy just doesn't look tired. And if the guy is not looking tired and he's hitting the hole and he's able to make a few people miss or he's able to get positive yardage more often than not, leave him in... Until he is gassed. When he's gassed, then you can use Marcus Major. So, with that, let's get to uh, Jeff Levy talking about the run game. This is from Monday when he met the media. And Barry Trammell asked him the question that that we just talked about: Is Tywee Walker the best running back on campus? Uh, Eric, can you
1: bring me home? Yeah, I'll ask you about the tailbacks. Is it possible that? Tommy is your best tailback. I mean, that doesn't strike us as possible, but is it possible? Well, he he had the most production Saturday, you know. So again, I do like the fact that we got four guys. We got four guys that are incredibly capable. Uh, we've got uh, guys that have a lot of trust with the entire staff, and and I think can play at any given time. So uh, the stress again is being able to get two and twenty seven going as they've. Uh, they've worked themselves back into being
0: in a really good position. It's also important to know what OU was looking for in the run game. You know, as I said earlier, they want burners. So they're looking for explosive plays in the run game. Okay, three yards in a cloud of dust isn't good enough. Holding the ball and getting, getting four or five yards a clip, not good enough for a guy like Jeff Levy. So Jeff Levy here, and this is one of the first questions that he was asked on Monday, about what he wants out of the run game. Here he talks about using that pass that spread guys like to set up the run.
1: Yeah, I think the biggest thing is our our guys got to continue to strain to win one-on-ones. You know, we we were just hot and cold. Uh, I I think I said it after the game. We were a little too conservative at times. You know, probably should have thrown it around a little bit more. Uh, To give our guys a little bit of air and and give us a chance to make some plays on the perimeter. Uh, But we do, we just got to continue to to win one on ones, get guys in rhythm, uh, really bring along two and and 27 this week uh, while continuing to to let Tal Weed get production and having Marcus as a a big part of it. So I do love the fact that we've got a stable. You know, we got four guys that we trust that we can count on, uh, but we do want to make more explosive plays in the run game for sure.
0: Which brings us to this fascinating discussion. And I thought, I can't remember if it was, I cannot remember if this past week it was for uh, the first or the second series where I thought OU had set up a play action play pass beautifully by, by running the ball and then they, they, they well executed it. What I wanted to know from Jeff Levy more than anything is, okay, so you talk about running the ball and that and that's what you want to do. You want to run the ball, but it looks like you were trying to mix it up. So how much of that mixing it up was design calls versus RPOs? And here's what Jeff Levy had to say.
1: Yeah, a little bit of it was both. You know, we had the big negative on second, on first and 10, made us second and 13 when we, we kind of threw, threw the running back out uh, to the field there, and that put us behind the sticks, which created an issue in, in us not converting there on that first shot.
0: To the naked eye... It, it's very hard to tell what is an RPO and, and what is a what is a design run. It, it really is hard to tell. Most of the time, you can't tell. And when it comes to the RPOs, I think you're you're putting so much in the quarterback's hand that, I what on one hand, I think most quarterbacks would rather throw the ball than hand it off. And the other thing I think they would they would rather do is call their own number than to give it to a running back. So you're really trusting what the offense is doing and along those same lines and I'd be remiss if I didn't mention this when it comes to this Jackson Arnold package that, that OU has it was pretty predictable on Saturday you put him in the, the first part and you do an empty backfield and he runs then I think you may have put a couple of other guys in and and, and you just you know every time you snap it to him you direct snap it he's going to run the ball and it came a joke in the press box about well surely they're going to let him throw this time you're going to... I, I'd be, I'd be hard-pressed, again, knowing Jeff Levy to think that when you put a guy like Jackson Arnold in that eventually he's not going to throw the ball. Okay? And there's two reasons you're doing this. One, the biggest reason is he can help you. And he's a guy that's got great arm talent and he's proven that he's can be a guy that can run the ball and to have him on the field certainly certainly is better for your team than necessarily having him on the sidelines. Two... It's to keep him happy, and, and you're going to see a lot more of this in college football if you haven't already because with coaches being so afraid of quarterbacks, especially quarterbacks, bailing when they're not getting the opportunity to be on the field when they were recruited and you've, got, you've had to fight other schools that tell them that they would start right away, you're going to do everything you can to get this guy on the field. You're going to do everything you can to make him as happy as possible. That's the only way you can operate now in college football. So for Jackson Arnold, you know, make no mistake about it. Yes, it's for the it's for the better of the team, but it's also for the future. So Jackson Arnold knows that he is loved and that promises are, are are being paid off. And if for some reason he turns out to be the better guy, it wouldn't shock me if he ends up starting over Dylan Gabriel. I don't think that'll happen. But if we did see it happen later in the year, like especially if OU were to struggle, let's say they struggle in the next couple of weeks against Iowa State and Cincinnati, which by the way, I always forget they're playing Iowa State uh, before Cincinnati. If they do that, you know, if they struggle, and then when you put Jackson Arnold in, the offense moves better, don't think that that, that won't happen. It very well could happen. And I'm not saying it would, or I'm not saying it will. I'm just saying that that possibility is always looming out there for Dylan Gabriel, and it doesn't matter what they've told him. Nobody in college football, no, no player's job in college football is 100% safe when you've got coaches' jobs on the line, and their job is primarily to go out and win football games. Uh, but I like I like the idea of having, having that extra weapon. Most of the time, I'm like, leave him on the sidelines, but it, it does give OU an added dimension that teams have got to count count for. And when you haven't shown that much with Jackson Arnold right now, because you don't have to, there's not enough film for a team like Texas or Cincinnati or Iowa State to prepare. And you would think this week versus Tulsa, you wouldn't have to show a lot, and you're still going to beat the hell out of them. Look, I like Tulsa. Went and watched them play Arkansas Pine Bluff. For the level that they are at, That group of five level, they're a team that has enough talent to be competitive in the American Athletic Conference. And that is what their ceiling is this year. Make no mistake about it, Tulsa has talent. It ain't anywhere close to the talent that that OU has. And you can talk about how how maybe OU compares to Texas. Okay, so maybe OU isn't where Texas is right now, but this game is going to be an absolute laugher on Saturday. And if it is not... Then, oh, we're having a completely different conversation. Uh, Oh, you know, we're having a completely different conversation next week, which probably includes a lot of old granddad and maybe some other substances just to make us feel better about OU's bye week and and getting ready for Big 12 play. Here's what will give OU what, all right, here's what could. Here Here are two players that could possibly give OU some problems this week, all right? Uh, The first one, and I like this kid, Jordan Ford. Saw him play against Arkansas Pine Bluff. Nifty little running back. Um, 5'9", 119 pounds. Well, wait a second. Excuse me. I did not get that right, did I? I know he's 5'9". He's 191 pounds. Oh, my God. Took way too much weight off that kid. 5'9", 191 pounds. I like the way this kid runs. He has got what you like to call a little bit of juice. He can be explosive. He does a really good job of following his blockers. He can squirm out of tackles. Okay, If you don't wrap him up, he has got the ability to squirm out of tackles, and those feet, he never picks them up, constantly keeps those feet moving. Um, he could be a guy that could be a little bit tough to deal with. Now, he didn't do jack against Washington. And when I saw him, again, you're playing against Arkansas Pine Bluff. I would assume, based on the way that OU's playing defense, those guys in Norman – Tackle a hell of a lot better than those guys from Pine Bluff. And that the production or lack thereof that he had in Washington, which was rushing for just 67 yards, is about what he's going to get against Oklahoma. That being said, um, you know, if he were to, to break loose, if he were to get out of a, a couple of tackles and have some nice gains, 10, 15 yards, don't be too surprised about it. Okay, because I, I do think this kid is really good. Uh, the other guy I'm going to tell you to watch is Owen Ostrowski. They've got him listed as a defensive lineman. To me, he's more of an outside linebacker slash defensive end. They'll line him up. He'll put his hands in a hand in the dirt. He'll he'll shade over the over the tackle or he'll shade over the tight end. He's quick. Arkansas Pine Bluff did not have an answer for this kid. Again, Arkansas Pine Bluff to OU. There's just no comparison for it. And for as quick as he is, for as much as for as for good as he is at getting off his blocks and flying to the ball, and I think I counted like four, four tackles that he made in the first half against Arkansas Pine Bluff, all those were behind the line of scrimmage. It felt like all of them were behind the line of scrimmage. Um, for as good as he was against those guys, I think you're going to have a little tough time getting off your blocks against OU. Um, it doesn't mean that you can't fly to the ball, but I don't see him camping out in in the backfield again. Strong kid, not huge, 6'2, 256, but he does have some explosiveness. He was a lot of fun to watch then. He may be a lot of fun to watch OU. I'm just I'm having a hard time thinking that after you go get hammered by Tulsa in Seattle and you're flying all or hammered by Washington in Seattle, sorry. I have a hard time thinking that after you get hammered by Washington in Seattle and you fly all the way back to Tulsa you're going to be that good against Oklahoma. And I would say right now that I would not expect Kevin Wilson to play either Cardell Williams, who might be the best quarterback that they've got on campus, who got nicked up. Uh, Braylon Braxton probably isn't going to play, but if he does, he looks so bad in his first game through two inexcusable interceptions. That Kevin Wilson probably doesn't want to risk it. He could just play Roman Fuller, the third-string guy, which again... All oh, this plays very well uh, to OU, and OU will not have the problems with either Williams or Fuller that they had uh, this past week with Stone. And look, uh, Danny Stutzman was great. I didn't, I didn't pay as much attention to Danny Stutzman as I did Canick, and you're like, well, Stutzman was all over the field. I just tend to like pick a guy and watch him. So sometimes that that can that can leave you out of the other action. And about Canick, if it was playing assignment football that was an issue, I didn't see it. I didn't see it on Saturday. This guy did exactly what they needed him to do, put a hand in the dirt if he needed to, um, line up in pass coverage. I thought he stayed with his man really well. OU defense overall has been fantastic by um, by standards comparing them to what they've been the last 10 years. It's been fantastic these first two games. Shouldn't be much different against TU this week, you know. I, I look. I'm expecting a blowout. I don't usually predict final scores on this, but if OU didn't roll up 40 points on this one and hold Tulsa to how the hell? Let me see you. You you've given up 11 points total right now as a defense. If you were to give up any more than 14, 17 at the most, it'd be it'd be a disappointment. That's how bad OU should go out and. Beat Tulsa this week. Well, we cannot leave this podcast without addressing the elephant in the room. And that's Art Bryles being on the sidelines Saturday after OU's win against Southern Methodist or this past weekend's win against Southern Methodist. And, and being out there in OU gear. No matter how you slice it, that's a bad look for OU. It is. You, you can't have a guy... Who allowed sexual assault to run rampant on his campus? Be associated not just with your football program, and this is where this is where this is what you've got to understand. If you're in the in the, if you're in the crowd that says this is no big deal, one, please remember OU is an academic institution, and please remember it's not just football players or athletes that go there, but regular students go there as well. You can't have women feel unsafe when they are on college campuses. And that's what Art Bryles brings. He brings a feeling of not just uneasiness, but he brings a feeling of un, of just flat out being unsafe for women. So you cannot have him on campus. And I'm 100% positive, based on the statement that Joe Castiglione made, based on the statement that Britt Venables made, that this was discussed with Jeff Lebby. Because hiring Lebby was a risk. I was not thrilled when OU hired Jeff Lebby because Jeff Lebby was involved in all that mess down in Baylor. And he's Art Briles' son-in-law. Yeah, it's very uncomfortable, but you ran the risk and hired him, and it bit you in the butt this week. But I have to think that based on those statements that Jeff Lebby was told Dude, you cannot have your father-in-law here. You can't have him on the sidelines. And here is Jeff Lebby on Saturday. This is Saturday after the game when Gary Neibing asked him about Art Bryles being on the sideline.
1: Jeff, did you have? Did you reach out to Art Arch Bryles, Arch Bryles and invite him onto the sideline tonight? That's my father-in-law. That's, yeah, so he's my father-in-law. That's a grandfather to my two kids. So he was down with our entire family after the game. Well after the game, but he was down there and with the entire family. There's, I think there's going
0: to be people that have trouble squaring that a little bit because of his. Yeah, issues. well, that
1: again, he's with his entire family. That's my father-in-law. That's the grandfather to my two kids.
0: Less than 48 hours later, Jeff Lebby was a little bit more contrite.
1: Yeah, morning. You know, suspect. Suspect. You know, some of you might have questions uh, regarding my father-in-law. His presence at the game Saturday night. I want to go ahead and address this. I've got a statement for you guys that I'll read. You know, one, just want everybody to understand. Uh, my father-in-law, his presence on the field after the game the other night is, is something uh, that created a distraction. And I, I do I apologize for that. That was that was not the intent at all. Uh, the intent was just to to celebrate with with my family. Uh, do want to correct. Some reports that, uh, that claimed he had a sideline pass. There was not a sideline pass given out. He was actually on the field only when, when other families were were down there and were present. Uh, you know, Joe Castiglione, Coach Benables, both have, have uh, addressed concerns with me, have talked to me about it, and, and again, can, can make sure that everybody understands that this is something that it will not come up again. So with that, I wanted to start with that and then get into questions.
0: Yes, that is your father-in-law. It is the grandfather to your kids. But make no mistake what this is about. And there have been a lot of people make the argument, well, you should forgive Art Bryles or, you know, hasn't Art Bryles done his time? As much as it is or isn't about Art Bryles, this is more about Jeff Lebby being told to do something by his bosses and not doing it. I thought, still think, Jeff Lebby should have been fired over it because if you're going to give Kel Gundy the, if you're not going to give Kel Gundy any grace whatsoever for picking up an iPad and reading a word that he shouldn't have read because there were rap lyrics that some kid was writing in film session, if you're not going to give him the grace to make amends for it, then Jeff Lebby does not deserve the the grace to make amends for this either. And if the only reason you're keeping Jeff Levy around is because of Jackson Arnold and and other kids that you think may leave. That's not a good enough reason. Again, there's a bigger picture here, a much bigger picture you have to look at when you're talking about the university as a whole. Is OU going to fire Jeff Levy? It doesn't look like it. Could they suspend him? I guess they still could. But the fact that nothing has happened as the recording of this podcast makes me think that whatever – was whatever was said or whatever was agreed to was enough to satisfy Joe Castiglione and Brent Venables. I don't think this situation is over by a long shot. It'll be interesting to see how it affects Levy moving forward and what effects ultimately it has on the OU football program. That finishes up this week's episode. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, Coming up next week, we will take a look ahead to two weeks down the road. Since OU has a bye week, we've got two weeks to look for. Well, actually, what we will do next week is we'll kind of look back at the first three games. We'll kind of sum all that up. Then the week after that, then we'll get into conference play with Iowa State, and we'll we'll break that down. Is that fair enough? All right. I'm Eric G, hoping that God blesses you and your family. As the great Jackie Moon always says, everybody love everybody. And to quote Don Cornelius, love, peace, and soul.